Hello everyone, this is Rabbi Michael Hatton, and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com. Today's short section, chapter 27, verse 12 through verse 23, can simply be titled, Moshe's Successor. It can be divided into two smaller sections, verses 12 through 14, which contains the divine directive to Moshe to ascend Har Ha'avarim, Mount Ha'avarim, to look over the land and to prepare to die. Verses 15 through 23 contain Moshe's entreaty to God to appoint a successor and God's selection of Yehoshua. What is the connection between this section and what preceded? Ibn Ezra argues that the previous section was concerned with Devar Hanachalot, the matter of the possession of land, concerning Tzilofchad and his daughters in particular, but also concerning the tribes at large. Ibn Ezra argues, since the previous topic was about Nachalot, inheritance and possession of land, this section is also about a Nachalah of a different sort, or as Ibn Ezra puts it, Moshe's concern, Mi Yinchal Ma'alato, who is the one who will inherit his position of authority. Rashi offers a more Midrashic connection. When God tells Moshe, Naton titain lahem nachala betoch achayavihen, that Moshe should give the daughters of Tzilofchad a possession of land among their brethren, the thought enters Moshe's mind that perhaps Hutra ha the divine decree that he may not enter the land, has been relaxed. When Moshe enters the area east of the Arden, after the conquest of Sichon and Og, effectively what will become the tribal territory of Bnei Gad and Bnei Reuven, the thought enters Moshe's mind, that perhaps the pledge or the oath placed upon me by God that I will not enter the land has been relaxed or cancelled. And therefore, says Rashi, this section comes to highlight and to emphasize Gezerati bimkoma omedet, my decree, says God, stands in its place which is to say, God now indicates to Moshe that it is time for him to surrender leadership and to appoint a successor. We might suggest, in a more straightforward fashion, that the theme of this particular section is part of the much larger theme that we have been discussing of succession in general just as the generation that left the land of Egypt is replaced by the generation that will now enter the land, signaled by the census at the beginning of the Parsha, just like 
Tzilofchad dies and is no more, but his daughters will succeed him and enter the land in his stead, so too Moshe himself will pass on and will surrender leadership to his successor, the one that will lead the people of Israel into the, into the land. The theme for all of the sections of the Parsha is therefore a common one, the theme of succession. We begin with Pasuk Yudbet with verse number 12. Vayomer Adunai el Moshe ale el har ha'avarim hazeh u'ra'e et ha'aretz asher natati livnei Yisrael. God said to Moshe, Ascend this Mount ha'avarim and see the land which I have given to the people of Israel. V'ra'ita ota. V'ne'esafta el amecha gamata ka'asher ne'esaf aharon achicha. And you will see it, and you will be gathered unto your peoples, even you, which is to say you will die, just as Aharon your brother was gathered in. Verse 14. Ka'asher meritem pi b'midbar tzin b'mrivat ha'edah Lahaktisheni vamaim leenehem, hem me merivat kadesh midbarutzin. This is because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Tzin, at the striving of the congregation, in order to sanctify me by the waters in their sight. They were the waters of strife at Kadesh, at the wilderness of Tzin. Moshe is told to ascend Har Ha'avarim to see the land and then to die. And the reason for his premature demise is spelled out. The matter of Mei Merivah, the waters of Merivah, where Moshe struck the rock instead of speaking earlier, instead of speaking to it. This had already been indicated when the episode actually happened in Parshat Chukat, God made it clear. Because you did not sanctify me, therefore you will not bring this people into the land which I swore to them. So we know that part of the story. We know that Moshe struck the rock and was denied entry by divine decree. But the ascent to the peak of Har Ha'avarim will not actually happen until the very end of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. It's at that point that Moshe will be told to go up and that he will do so. The verses in Sefer Devarim read as follows. Chapter 32, verse number 48. After Moshe has spoken the song of Ha'azinu, God spoke to Moshe be'etzem hayom hazeh on that very day and said, Alei el har ha'avarim hazeh har nevo, asher be'eretz Moav, ascend to this Mount ha'avarim, to Mount Nevo, which is in the land of Moav, which is against Jericho, and see the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel as a possession. Umut bahar asher ata'ole shama and die on the mountain 
that you will ascend and be gathered unto your peoples, just as Aharon your brother died at Hor Hahar and was gathered to his people. Al asher me'altem pi, al asher me'altem bi betoch b'nei Israel. This is because you trespassed against me among the people of Israel at the waters of Merivah Kadesh in the wilderness of Tzin, because you did not sanctify me among the people of Israel. You will see the land from opposite, the Shama Lotavo, but you will not enter into it, to the land which I give to the people of Israel. And this is in fact fulfilled in the very last section of the Torah, chapter 34 of Sefer Devarim, verse 1. Moshe ascended from the plains of Moab to Mount Nevo to the top peak, which was opposite Yericho, and God showed him the entire land from the Gilad and Dan, and the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Menashe, the land of Yehuda, until the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, the plain of Yericho, the city of date palms, until Tzoar. So effectively, Although our Parsha has God indicating to Moshe that he must ascend and prepare to die, and that this is in consequence of the events of Memeriva, this actually doesn't take place until quite a bit later in this story. The Ramban therefore argues that what is reported in Parshat Pinchas is not a tzivui, it's not a mitzvah, that Moshe must fulfill immediately, but rather a statement of what will soon occur. As Ramban puts it, This cannot be a command in which God commands Moshe to do this immediately, because if that were the case, says the Ramban, then Moshe would have immediately ascended. Rather, ta'amo, the meaning is, ta'ale el ha'avarim ve'ra'ita et ha'aretz. You will go up to Mount Avarim and you will see the land. Effectively, the Ramban changes the imperative, ale el ha'avarim, to the future tense, ta'ale el ha'avarim. This is, of course, a bold move on his part, but it is precipitated by the fact that we have no evidence of Moshe fulfilling this directive until the very end of the Torah. Moshe will ascend Har Nevo, which the Torah refers to in chapter 33 of Devarim as Har Avarim Har Nevo, so we know that it is the same location, in spite of the fact that in our context it's only referred to as Har Ha'avarim Hazeh, this Mount Ha'avarim. Ramban explains in a very poignant comment, Har Ha'avarim literally means the Mount of the Passage. Har Ha'avarim La'avor is to pass or to pass over. Mipnei Shehu Al Ma'abarot HaYarden. The reason why the mountain is called that is because it sits at the passages over the Arden. 
the fords over the Jordan River. Umisham ya'avru el Eretz Kna'an, and from there one passes over into the land of Kna'an. Of course, this makes the moment much more emotional. Moshe ascends the location from which those that are entering the land will pass over the Jordan, but of course he ascends only to look over and not to actually enter the land. There is, of course, a missing piece in all of this, and that's Moshe's tefillah, Moshe's impassioned prayer to God that the divine decree should be relaxed and Moshe should be permitted to enter the land. This prayer is recorded in Sefer Devarim at the beginning of Parshat Va'et Hanan. At that time, Moshe recounts the events associated with the conquest of the territory of Sichon and Og, chapter 3 of Sefer Devarim, and towards the end of that chapter, the beginning of Parshat Va'et Hanan, the following is recorded. I entreated God, I pleaded with God at that time, saying, God, Lord, you have began to show your servant your greatness, your powerful hand. There is no God in heaven or on earth who can do as you do with your might. Allow me to pass over and to see this good land that is on the other side of the Jordan River. This goodly mountain and the area of the Lebanon. And God responded to me with anger on your behalf. And he would not hear. And God said to me, Rav Lach, it is enough. Do not continue to speak to me of this matter anymore. Verse 27, chapter 3, Sefer Devarim, Ale rosh ha-piska v'sa'enecha yama v'tzafona v'temana u'mizracha u'rei v'enecha ki lo ta'avorot ha-yarden hazeh. Ascend to the top of this peak and lift up your eyes to the west and north the south and to the east, and see it with your eyes, because you will not pass over this Jordan. V'tzavet Yehoshua v'chazakehu v'amtsehu, command Yehoshua, strengthen him, give him courage, because he will pass over before this people, and he will cause them to possess the land which you see. V'neshev bagai mul beit paor, we dwelt at Gai opposite beit paor, it's exactly the same episode, which our Parsha records. So the directive to ascend, the directive to appoint Yehoshua as successor, matches the data in our section perfectly. What's of course absent from our account is Moshe's prayer. As Chizkuni puts it in his commentary to verse 12, Chaser kan, ma palel Moshe la'avor ba'aretz, What's missing here is Moshe's prayer that he should pass over into the land. And it is spelled out elsewhere, says the Chizkuni, namely in Parshat Va'etchanan. If we were to reconstruct the chronology, therefore, we would say the following. The defeat of Sichon and Og happens at the end of Parshat Chukat. 
This is followed by Balak's unsuccessful attempt to curse the people of Israel. That ends with the debacle of Baal Peor, where the people of Israel succumb to idolatry. Pinchas, at the beginning of our Parsha, will arise to slay the perpetrators, and then a census is undertaken. The daughters of Tzilofchad approach Moshe and entreat him to allow them to inherit the land of their father. This is followed, properly speaking, by Moshe's prayer, where he begs of God to enter the land. If we were to follow Rashi's Midrashic line, again this takes place in the immediate aftermath of being told that he will actually assign the territory of Tzilofchad to his daughters. And this is followed by Hashem's response, our section today, Alei el har ha'avarim hazeh, rise, ascend, mount ha'avarim, see the land, but you will not enter it in spite of your prayers and your pleas to me. Prepare to appoint your successor. We continue in our section with Pasuk Tedvav. Vayidaber Moshe el Adunai lemor. Moshe spoke to God, saying. On the one hand, this particular verse looks very, very familiar. There are similar ones throughout the Torah. Close to 70 times the Torah records, Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe lemor. God spoke to Moshe saying, and then Moshe is given a tzivui or a command that he is to communicate to the people of Israel. But this particular verse, although it follows the formula, actually is a glaring exception to all the others. Again, the verse reads, Vayidaber Moshe el Hashem leimor. Moshe spoke to God saying, it is the very verse that God uses to communicate his directives. And here it is employed with Moshe as the subject and God as the one who receives the communication. This is a fulfillment, of course, of what God said earlier concerning Moshe. In Parshat Baha'alotcha, Peh el peh adaber bo velo v'chidot. I speak to my servant Moshe face to face. So as much as God is frequently the subject when a conversation of face to face takes place, in this moment and only in this moment, the order is reversed. Moshe speaks to God and this is what he says. Obviously, what is being suggested is what Moshe is about to communicate to God face to face, so to speak, is a matter of great significance. What is the most important thing that Moshe can possibly share with God? God, appoint a worthy successor in my place. And this is, of course, the truest expression of Moshe's leadership. At this moment, he is not concerned about his personal needs. He is not concerned about his legacy. He is not concerned about anything else except the people's welfare. As Rashi puts it beautifully, 
Lehodiah Shivchan Shel Tzadikim. This special verse comes to indicate and to teach us about the praise of the righteous, righteous leaders. Kishiniftarin min haolam, when it is their time to leave this world, manichin tzorkan, they forget their own needs and let go of them, v'oskin b'tzorkei tzibur, and instead they occupy themselves with the needs of the people of Israel. Verse number 16. Yifkod Adonai Elohei haruchot lechol basar ish al ha'eda. God, who is the Lord of spirits for all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation to be their leader. Asher yetzeh lifnehem, v'asher yavo lifnehem, v'asher yotziem, v'asher yivihem, v'lo tihyeh adat adunai katzon, asher ein lahem ro'eh. A man that will go forth before them, and that will go forth as they come in, a man that will take them out and that will bring them in, such that the congregation of God will not be like sheep that does not have any shepherd. The expression, God who is the God of all spirits for all flesh, is an unusual one. What does it mean that God is a God of spirits of all flesh? And it is interpreted differently with a popular reading being the ruchot here, the spirits, are the spirits of different people. Every person has different thoughts and different ideas. Every person has different goals and different dreams. Every person has a different temperament and a different character. And for Rashi, at least, the meaning is, it therefore requires a very, very special individual who can serve as a leader for such a disparate constituency. And what Moshe, presumably through his own experience, is asking of God, is that God finds the right leader who can guide the people of Israel because the people of Israel are so different one from the next. We note, of course, that this particular expression, God being referred to as Elokei Haruchot Lechol Basar, occurs only one other time in the Torah, not long ago in Parshat Korach. At that moment, as God threatened to destroy the congregation, Moshe and Naharon fell on their faces and they said, El Elohei Haruchot Lechol Basar, God who is the God of spirits of all flesh, Haish Echad Yecheta, Will one man, namely Korach, transgress, and that will ask that will bring you to be angry against the entire congregation? In other words, in that context, means God, you alone know what is in the hearts of other men. And there is no reason to punish everyone for the indiscretion of one, namely Korach himself. As Rashi put it in that context, Yodea Machshavot, you are the one who knows the innermost thoughts. Yodea Atami you are the one who knows who truly has transgressed. 
in effect, we might say, the common denominator between both contexts is that Moshe asks of God to be able to single out the one that he knows is the one that is needed as a function of their innermost thoughts and their innermost abilities. In the same way that Korach is alone responsible because in spite of his words of care for the people and support for them, really in his heart of hearts, he's completely self-motivated and only interested in his own advancement. God, you know that. Only you know that. You also know that the people of Israel are blameless in this situation. In the same way, Moshe now employs the phrase with a mirror image, just as you know who the sinner truly is as a function of reading the depths of their hearts, so too you know who the great leader is that the people of Israel need by reading into the depths of their heart. A leader that will take them out, presumably to battle, and bring them in from the battlefield, which is to say a leader that will help them conquer the land, but will actually go before them into battle and inspire them, such that the congregation of God will not be like a flock of sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. The people of Israel as a flock of sheep is a recurring idea, image, in Tanakh. In our own context, of course, we note that Moshe began his career as a shepherd at the beginning of Parshat Shmot. And this received, no, this received no small amount of Midrashic embellishment as Moshe's shepherding of the sheep became his shepherding of the people of Israel. David, Israel's illustrious king, also began as a shepherd. And of course, we're reminded of Tehillim chapter 23. Mizmor le David, Adunai ro'i lo echsal. God is my shepherd, I shall not want. As much as David is the shepherd of the people of Israel, God is his shepherd as well. The image of the shepherd is that the shepherd looks out for the welfare of the sheep, cares for the sheep, brings the sheep to pasture, takes them out and brings them in. And effectively, Moshe now says, unless the people have an appropriate leader to care for them, they will not be able to care for themselves. It seems to be a universal feature of human societies that leaders are needed to look out for the welfare of all. And most of us are not leaders. And therefore, to have a leader who is a sincere leader, a true leader, an inspiring leader, is a recipe for success for society at large. God responds to Moshe in verse number 18. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe kachlachat Yehoshua binun ish asher ruach bo 
v'samachta et yadacha alav. God said to Moshe, Take Yehoshua binun, a man who has the spirit within him, and lay your hand upon him. This is, of course, in direct response to Moshe's plea. God who is the God of spirits, God now responds, Take Yehoshua, a man who has the spirit. Elokei haruchot, ish asher ruach po. Vahamadata oto lifne lazar kohen vilifne kol haedavit sivita otolo leenehem. Cause him to stand before Elazar the priest and all of the congregation and command him in their presence. Vinatatami hodacha alav lemaan yishmu koladat bene Yisrael. Take from your glory and place it upon him so that all of the congregation of Israel hears you. ולפני אלעזר הכהן יעמוד ושאלו במשפט האורים לפני אדוני על פיו יצאו ועל פיו יבואו הוא וכל בני ישראל איתו וכל העדה. He will stand before Elazar the priest and Elazar will ask on his behalf through the urim before God by his command, they will go out, and by his command, they will come in, he and all of the people of Israel with him, and the entire congregation. God tells Moshe to take Yehoshua, to lay his hand upon him, to stand him up before Elazar and the entire congregation, to command him in their presence, to place from his glory upon him. All of this calculated so that the people of Israel will be responsive and receptive to him. In other words, it is very important for Yehoshua to be appointed as successor publicly and to receive Moshe's full support and full encouragement. Moshe, of course, was regarded as a leader that was irreplaceable. And as he now leaves the scene or prepares to do so, God indicates in order for Yehoshua to be able to succeed him with all of Moshe's authority transferred to him, the assembly has to recognize that particular move. Yehoshua must receive the mandate of the people. And this is best done if the appointment takes place publicly with all the other officials involved. Ibn Ezra remarks, verse number 20, they have already been trusted in you, Moshe, and when they see that you show Yehoshua deference and honor, they will do the same. Ki they will follow your example. We note that Yehoshua is to serve as leader, not alone, but in tandem with Elazar HaKohen. It is Elazar who will inquire before the Urim, 
the special stones of the breastplate when Elazar would inquire of God's will. So effectively, Yehoshua acts as leader, but he really requires Elazar's guidance in order to lead successfully. We might call this a rudimentary system of checks and balances. Yehoshua is the political leader. Elazar is the religious leader. And one cannot properly function without the support of the other. The last thing the Torah wants is for power to be concentrated in the exclusive hands of one person. And in ancient Israel, there was this system of checks and balances. On the one hand, there is a king, there's a melech. On the other hand, there is a kohen gadol, there's a high priest. There's also a judiciary, the Sanhedrin. And there is a prophet. And the power is shared between them, each one with different responsibilities and different strengths. And we have a number of examples in Jewish history when power was concentrated in the hands of one and it led nowhere positive. The most popular example, of course, being the Hashmonaim, who began as freedom fighters and eventually ultimately became a decadent dynasty that crumbled. Why? because they were both kings as well as high priests. And they had no one to answer to except themselves. Verse number 22, Moshe did just as God commanded him. He took Yehoshua and he stood him before Elazar the priest and before all of the congregation, he laid his hands upon him and he commanded him, he invested him, just as God had spoken to Moshe. In fact, though, what God had asked Moshe to do was, lay your hand. What Moshe actually does is, he places both hands upon Yehoshua. This is to indicate that when Moshe appoints Yehoshua as his successor, he does so with a full heart and with great effect. Not one hand, but two hands. As Rashi says, yafa, with full measure, more and more than what he had been commanded. He made him a vessel full and overflowing with inspiration, with wisdom, which he happily bestowed with a full heart. While Yehoshua is named officially as the successor at this moment, the truth is that Yehoshua has had a very long and illustrious career. In brief, we first met Yehoshua at the battle against Amalek in Parshat B'Shalach, chapter 17 of Sefer Shmot, 
when the people crossed the sea and entered the wilderness and were attacked. Yehoshua appeared again at the sin of the golden calf as Moshe descended from Mount Sinai in Parshat Kitisa, he was the first one to greet him because he had removed himself from the camp of Israel and had followed his teacher Moshe as Moshe ascended and had patiently waited for his return. When Moshe relocated his tent in the aftermath of the golden calf in Parshat Kitisa to outside of the camp, it was reported that Yehoshua never left that tent because he was Moshe's loyal Mesharet, his protege. When Eldad and Medad prophesied in the camp in Parshat Baha Lotcha, Yehoshua was there to defend Moshe's honor, Adoni Moshe Kilaim. And of course, when the spies were sent and 10 of them returned with a negative report, it was Yehoshua and Kalev that had maintained their faith in God. Effectively, we have seen Yehoshua function in a variety of situations, from the very beginning of the story of the Exodus until this point. He has shown himself to be a courageous fighter, a loyal protege, a diligent student, a defender of his master. In short, there is no better candidate to succeed Moshe Rabbeinu than Yehoshua himself. And in fact, the laying of the hands in our section, the rabbis will refer to this as smicha. Literally, that's what means the laying of the hands. That becomes the template for smicha in the Mishnah and the Talmud, which means the transfer of special authority from the mentor to the protege, such that the Talmud, from the Rav to the Talmud, such that the Talmud is able to judge even very difficult cases of Jewish law. These are called Dinei Kinasot. And the rabbis tell us that, that that was an unbroken chain from Moshe to Yehoshua down through the generations until the destruction of the Second Temple when that chain terminated under Roman tyranny. And part of that tradition, but not with the same authority, is what we call smicha today, rabbinic ordination, which means that a person is qualified to respond to questions of Jewish law as a function of whatever their qualifications are. So what we call smicha today is a version, but a smaller version of what the Talmudic and Mishneic smicha was. And all of these things ultimately derive their authority from this moment when Moshe invests Yehoshua with leadership and transmits his authority to him. So the smicha of our particular parsha today, that we read of today, becomes the template, the exemplar for transfer of authority and leadership in the rabbinic tradition. And although our smicha today is really nothing like the original version, 
on some level it still derives its inspiration from it.